Hello, welcome to another edition of Sound of La Liga. This edition is different from the last editions. We're going to introduce a new pod into the Sound of La Liga. This pod is going to be based around guests coming on and sharing with myself and Daryl, who will be co-hosting from now on on this particular pod. They're all-time 11 favourite La Liga players from throughout the years. Now, not the best necessarily. This is going to be a personal choice for whoever comes on and myself and Daryl will discuss the type of players you've picked, give our own opinions on it. We're, we're sure we'll be in agreement with most of them. Couple of rules. Most important rule, rule number one. There is no Messi or CR7. Absolutely not. No way. Because, let's be honest about it, depending on the type of people that are coming on, if you're a deluded fan, you're going to have CR7. If you're a deluded fan, you're going to have Messi. So, it, that, that just becomes boring. Other rules will include, you must come on and tell us why you watch the Liga, when you started watching the Liga, and basically what the Liga means to you. You must have a walkable formation, no 2-2-6s just to get players you want in. You're going to have to think about this. There's going to be a maximum of three players from each team, with a total max of five between the El Clasico sides. There's going to be no ridiculous player migration picks, i.e. having Ramos in there from Sevilla just because you're Real Madrid supporter and you want them in there. But you can have Ramos from Sevilla if you're a Sevilla supporter and you can remember his memorable season at the club. And you can't be picking Cafu for Zaragoza just because you've read somewhere that Cafu was one of the greatest of all time. Formations are important. With Daryl on. Daryl, how are you doing, Chief? I'm grand, Gab. Looking forward to spouting on about some of my old favourites. I've been uh, I've been thinking about this for a while, so yeah. Sent me down memory lane a bit, back to when I was young and slightly prettier than I am now. <coughs> well, it should be good, Daryl, because as you stated, when I tried to put this together, when I tried to put it together in my head, it was easy. When I actually tried to put it down on paper to actually use it, I must have changed about three or four times because, you know, with the format we're at the putting into place, you have to think of the players um, you want in. Obviously, I've missed so many of my all-time favourite footballers aren't making this list because obviously you can only pick three players from each team but I'm I'm pretty chuffed with the, the type of team I'm after putting together I've my formation is 3-4-3 three, three. The, the pinnacle of Cruyff in my opinion I've three centre-backs three extraordinary centre-backs I've got four of the greatest midfielders to ever play in the league with three forwards mm, people may question it but again these are my forwards these are the type of players that made me think about what the league has meant to me over the years and the type of players that have left an impact on my memory what about yourself uh i've gone with the what i consider to be the classic standard la liga formation the 4231 um I'd say my defence is mostly rock solid with one little exception in there. Um, the midfield is just pure class. The attacking midfield just goals and fantasy all over them. And a striker who you're probably not going to be expecting. Sounds good. Sounds really good. Um, we've had a couple of chats um, between trying to put this together. I'm pretty certain that 
between my team and your team, there may be one or two picks that we we both agree on. I, I, I'm almost certain there's, there's definitely one in the goalkeeping position that we've both we've both picked. But I tell you, Daryl, I'm I'm going to give you a bit of an insight into why I became an illegal supporter. Years ago in Ireland, we had the English Division One. That was that 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 was all that was on TV over here. Throughout the eighties in Ireland, we used to have this um, TV station called Sportslink. That coincided alongside Eurosport, who at the time would have had, if you compare it to today, they had a pretty decent, you know, sports station in terms of what football was available. You had European football to watch. Throughout the eighties, my father, who's been arguably the biggest influence on me towards the love of the game I absolutely adore the game of football and it's because of him he's an incredibly intelligent man he's taught me so much about how to look at a player how to look at a team how to decipher what's going on in a manager's mind simple little things like that and it was one night in the late 80s where the infamous Sashis AC Milan had plummeted Real Madrid 5-0 now I don't remember the match I can kind of remember sitting there watching the game of football and seeing the San Siro I'd never actually seen the San Siro on TV I'd never actually seen a stadium like the San Siro on TV it was just this monster this monstrosity that I just wasn't used to we were, we were used to watching Division 1 games we were you know dilapidated stadiums you know, wooden stadiums. And then we had this, the San Siro, this majestic piece of concrete, if you want to call it, in the middle of Milan. It's an extraordinary stadium. To this day, it, 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 it kind of means a lot to me because it was one of those images when I was a kid that I remember and I've carried it on to today. But in that particular game, AC Milan had beaten Real Madrid 5-0. I would no idea what Real Madrid were. I would no idea what AC Milan was. But I just remember looking at AC Milan's jersey, the black and red striped jersey, and went, they're my team. AC Milan were my team. Fast forward a couple of days, on Sportslink, uh, the great Tim Cable, the commentator, the brilliant commentator, he used to do this roundup of goals throughout the leagues, and La Liga was there. He'd obviously gone through the La Liga results. I'd known, I knew Real Madrid had played in La Liga from Shoot Magazine, Match Magazine. We're at the back of these magazines, some sections just for European football. So I had an idea of what was in La Liga. I'd also known John Aldridge, uh, the Irish footballer. Um, who played for Liverpool had gone to Real Sociedad so I had even at a young age in England as to what was going on over there but on this particular sports programme I don't know who Barcelona were playing I, obviously I'm not that stupid to try and fool people into thinking that at the age of 7-8 years of age I can remember who they were playing who was playing who scored but I do remember the blue and red jerseys and after affiliating myself with AC Milan only a couple of days beforehand, because I'd seen the Barcelona jersey, that was the team I decided to support. And I've been supporting them ever since. I've inked myself. 
I've put myself through pain to put them on my body. I adore the club. I adore the league they're in. I've seen some extraordinary footballers play for them. And, Daryl, that's that's as easy as I, I can explain to you. That's how I am a Barcelona supporter, and that's why I love La Liga. Cool. So what year was it you started? I'd say that was 1989. I'm going to say it was 1989. I've, I've actually tried to find the result. I knew for I, I knew AC Milan had beaten Real Madrid 5-0. I can remember seeing the 5-0 pop-up because I suppose... I, I suppose my father's reaction to what had happened, again, these are mental images that I can, you know, vividly remember. It was five it was five nil to AC Milan. So that was in nineteen eighty nine. Okay then. What about you, Daryl? Why La Liga? Well with me it came later. Um I wasn't really a football fan as a kid. Um and just generally wasn't particularly interested in sport, to be honest. And then Euro 96 came around and that kind of missed me out because everyone was raving about it. And I'm the sort of contrarian twat and was as a kid who was just like, oh, everyone else is enjoying it. That's fine. I have to show no interest in this whatsoever. But I think kind of a seed got planted there because over the coming year, I got more and more interested in football the year following Euro 96. Um, now, before that, I'd always kept track of like my hometown club, Southampton. Um, we were generally crap. So I was generally just used to hearing the conversations going, are oh, we doing shit this year? Are oh, we doing shit again this year? Etc. Um, and I started to follow the premiership reasonably closely just as a Southampton fan during late 1996, 1997. And I enjoyed it to a degree, but that it always felt like the things that Sky were saying, oh, this is fantastic. Oh, this is amazing. Look at the entertainment, etc. This is the best league in the world. It always felt like something was ringing hollow. I was a very suspicious kid. Um, and I didn't buy it. And I was also aware of um, Serie A showing on Channel 4. So I caught little bits of that. And I was like, well, this is better than the Premiership. And then, unlike you, I could... If I wanted to, I could Google the date, but I can actually trace it down to a day. Um, it's in, we're approaching the 20th anniversary of it because it's in March um, 1998. I heard about this game that was due to be coming on at the weekend called El Clasico. And it was being presented as like the, the biggest game in the world. And Sky were promoting it as, you know, they weren't quite calling it the biggest game in the world because obviously that's Manchester United versus Liverpool or some other premiership bullshit that they're presenting as the biggest thing in the world for that particular week. Um, but they were they were hyping it up a bit. And it was the first time I'd really heard about Spanish football. And I said, OK, I'm going to watch this. And obviously the previous year, 1997, they'd had uh, Le Tournoi, so the famous Roberto Carlos goal. It's like, oh, Roberto Carlos plays one of these teams. And I knew certain other players, most of them Real Madrid players, like Raul, like Hierro. Um, so I decided I'm going to tune in for this match. And I came into it very much with an idea of watching out for those players. And then in the intro, I had my kind of light bulb moment. Uh, while they were showing the previous Classico, 
which had been in the Bernabeu. They showed a goal from a Spanish guy who they're explaining used to be a Real Madrid player. And he'd scored this absolute belter by curling the ball around Roberto Carlos into the bottom corner. And then he had run up to the Real Madrid bench, pulling the Barcelona shirt down in front of them and done this punching matador celebration right in front of the bench, right in front of all the home supporters. And I said straight away, fuck Real Madrid. That's the guy I have to support the team this guy plays for because that guy is a fucking badass. And that guy was Luis Enrique. Uh, so when I when the game started, I was instantly just following Barcelona straight away. And then they showed the camp now, and it was the most incredible thing I'd ever seen related to football. Just this enormous bowl full of people and the noise of it and just the passion and the the aggression of it. It was a very, very tense, very aggressive match. And I just fell for it straight away. Like three great goals, Barcelona won. Um, and I was hooked from then on. And thanks to one of those goals, I got a Barcelona shirt, which had a certain player's name on it, who's a good friend of yours, I believe. And that shirt went in the bin a couple of years later. We won't mention his name. But yeah, Not that's yet. what turned me on to La Liga. We won't mention his name yet. Hmm. Yeah, so, so that's me. 19, March 1998, so we're approaching my 20th year of a surprising amount of glory, but some real years of suffering at one stage, um, not long after I started becoming, uh, started following the club. Yeah, well, as to, to give listeners and to give potential people the chance to come on, that's what we're expecting. We're expecting you to have a little story like that, that, you know, explains us why... Why La Liga means so much to you? Why, the t- why you support the team you support? Uh, it's like Daryl said, explaining it pretty beautifully there, like old Luis Enrique, who t- jumped from Real Madrid to Barcelona, as you said, scoring and then taking the piss out of Real Madrid. That to me, that has always been historic La Liga. It's, it's calmed down an awful lot since, but that is generally the way La Liga used to be. It used to be passionate beyond belief again it has calmed down but these are the things that got us into it in the first place like Daryl I'm not giving you my my formation which is 343 you're not giving me mine so I'll tell you what we do and just let the listeners know I don't know who you've picked you don't know who I've picked so I've also want to throw in that you have to pick a captain as well because captains are important. I like knowing who the captain of a team is because captains of yesteryear are so much more valuable to the team as captains of today. So what do you reckon to that? Hit me with it. Tell me your goalkeeper in your back three. Okay, I'm going to start my goalkeeper. This goalkeeper, and you know what, Daryl, I'm actually going to let you guess them. I'll give you, I'll let you, I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about them, why I picked them, and you can guess them. Just to just to make this particular part a bit more interesting, we'll allow the listeners to do the same in in the future. With this particular goalkeeper for me was a complete and utter mad bastard. Very similar to Oliver Kahn, personality wise. He was an absolutely extraordinary keeper to build. The particular team he played for wouldn't have achieved the success they did without the smile in between the sticks. I mean, he was brilliant, a brilliant, brilliant keeper. 
he wasn't too dissimilar to Peter Schmeichel in the way he came off his line and made himself big. He retired having played exactly 500 games. And for me, a, a, a true legendary keeper. Who am I talking about? You're talking about Santiago Canizares. Uh, the one and only chief. An absolute fucking legend of the league. An extraordinary keeper. People, people, for, pe- people today will talk about the likes of you know, Valdez, Casillas, but, sorry, Canizares is, uh, he's up there, he's, if he's not up there, he's above that level, in my opinion, he just, what he done with that Valencia team, is just, ridiculous. Great keeper, so who are your defenders? Right, I'm going to start, I've only three defenders, but these are three centre-backs, right, my first defender, I suppose, when we look at, the rules of where certain players could fit in without compromising players from other teams into position. This lad, for me, was amongst the first names that popped into my head. When you think of the word, world-class, it's thrown around more than Stan Collymore's exes. But this particular lad, for me, is one of the all-time great defenders. Not just for the team he played for, but he's also an Argentinian legend. His time with the particular club he played with was memorable. He haven't won two La Ligas, and for me, to have him over any other particular player of that particular team just shows how much I taught him of as a player. Who am I talking about? With two La Ligas, I'm going to guess Roberto Ayala. One of the greatest defenders I've ever seen play the game of football. Probably the most intelligent defender I've ever seen play the game of football. His time at Valencia, again... That's, there's two Valencian players in a row. You, you have to people kind of have to who who don't remember or who haven't experienced it. That Valencia team between the year two thousand up to two thousand six, they had an incredible, an incredible team. They they also had players that came and went throughout the club, but they always had a pretty fucking impressive team. To the point that when play, people today are watching the Liga and they hear commentators or ex-players talking about the fall of this, you know, this once great club, it was these type of players that made this club great in the first place. I mean, Canizares and Ayala, the two boys, they hurt in two Champions League finals. They should have won at least one of them. It, it would have been befitting for them to have won against Real Madrid even though Real Madrid had hockeyed them 3-0 that season they will be far and away a better team than Real Madrid now I'm going to give you my next defender here's a lad who as a defender has a 1-4 goal scoring record for the club an extraordinary football and let alone defender when you look at the likes of Sergio Ramos who I think personally is brilliant I think Ramos is brilliant and then you look at uh, Gerard Piquet if you combined the two of them you have this player he won absolutely everything in the game and I, did, I didn't actually realise he played for Bolton Wanderers until I was researching for this particular part do you know who I'm talking about? yeah I do it's Fernando here oh, what a footballer what an absolute what a man I mean <laughs> one in four goal scoring record it's, that's just extraordinary but I, I honestly think when you look at Ramos, Ramos is, is not too dissimilar to Hierro, and neither is Pique. But if you take what Ramos has quality-wise and what Pique has quality-wise, if you combine the two of them, you're looking at Fernando Herrero. 
Yeah, I'd be inclined to agree. Yeah, it's it's the his ability to advance play from the back, being an ex midfielder as well. He was able to add that sort of EKSK element to just some really hard defending. He was a hard bastard. He was, and the goals. See, for me, people ask people ever ask me what does football mean to me? Football is football and goal. I just want to see goals. I want to be entertained. I want to see goals and. When you're a kid growing up in the 80s and the 90s, you know, you don't remember the defenders. You don't remember even the midfielders. You don't even remember the goalkeepers. All you remember as a kid, when you're 9, 10, 11, strikers is what it's all about. And when you have a defender who can score goals as good as most strikers in world football, you know, it leaves a mark. And for me, Fernando Hierro is that type of footballer and played for Real Madrid. His time at Real Madrid is legendary, and for me, he's a legendary player. And my last defender, and for me, is the only player in my team that's still playing today. If someone asked me who my all-time favourite defender was, or who I assumed was the greatest defender of all time, I'd lean towards Alessandro Nesta. I think Nesta is the perfect defender, an amazing defender. But this lad, for me, I think he's reached the level of Nesta. Without the added luxury of, you know, he hasn't played for the very, very best teams like Nesta did. He's an absolute warrior. His performances in the 2014 La Liga winning campaign, I mean, if there was any justice in the world of football, or whoever the fuck was picking players to be nominated for a Ballon d'Or, had a fucking brain cell between them, this lad should have been in the platform. He should have been on that platform. Who am I talking about, Chief? You're going for Diego Godin, I'm guessing. Easily. Probably, for me, the last decade, the best defender of the last decade. I don't think... I think that he's a die, he's, he, he's the last of a dying breed. Yeah, well, I can agree with that. He's got that... What I was about to say... After you mentioned Hierro, when I mentioned how hard he is, he's, he's hard in a kind of 1990s sense that you couldn't get away with now. And I think Godin still manages to just about get away with it, of being that much of a hard, def- gritty, defensive bastard on the pitch, really is what he is. And he, d- he delivers that brilliantly. And there's no bullshit with him. There's no, you know, nothing as complicated. When you look at the likes of uh, Ramos and PK, they seem to overcomplicate the art of defending because let's be honest I don't think PK and Ramos are natural defenders in the same sense that Godin is Godin is just there to defend the ball and when he's in the opposition's box he heads that ball scores goals as though he's heading that ball away in his own his own box I'd argue with anyone the case that he's as good as Nesta as a defender in the last 10 years I I I I, I, I personally cannot see anyone who is as good a natural defender as he's been, in especially in the league. I mean, there's no argument in the league. World football, you know, I'll await that argument. But for me, even though he's the only one still playing, he's been memorable for me, and he's the type of defender I I I tell me my grandkids about Diego Godin, Paul McGrath of the league. So rock solid defence there, then Gav. I'd say it's pretty well balanced in that you've got you could have your centre man bringing it forward. So yeah, I think you'd I think you'd get away with a back three there. But now it's a matter of how's your midfield going to help them? 
Right, yeah, I've got four in the midfields, and geez, where do we start? Okay, I'll start with this lad here. Right, this the player Messi says is his idol, and you can kind of see why. He, he was a stunning footballer with similarities to Messi, especially to his dribbling. His passing was exceptional. He played in a particularly wonderful side in the noughties with the likes of uh, Sean Messi, I'll tell you, because I, I have to actually tell you what I have written now. He had the likes of Guys Comandieta and Kili Gonzalez. There's countless YouTube videos regarding him. But there's always been a niggle for me that he didn't fulfil his potential. You know, partially down to injuries, but there was always something with him that I seen that was holding him back at times. That player is Pablo Weimar. So I was expecting you to let me guess that one. I thought we were still doing the guessing thing. We are still doing the guessing thing, but uh, because I, 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 I have Mendieta and Kili Gonzalez in there, I thought, you know, it'd be too easy for you there. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, t- I knew it was straight away because as soon as you said Messi's idol, I knew who it was. Uh, but Oymar was class. Oymar was just a, a different breed. Uh, you know, Oymar's the, the type of footballer that, you know, it's they're few and far between in today's game where back when the early noughties, you know, there was loads of Oymar-like players. Pablo Oymar was a different breed. He was a special footballer. He done wonders with that Valencia side for me. He done absolute wonders with them. He, his career after Valencia, I didn't really follow it as much. I know he went to Benfica, but the impact he had, especially on me in La Liga and that Valencia side, that Valencia side in the early noughties is it's the type of team that you remember, you don't have to be a Valencia supporter. You can be a Barcelona supporter, a Real Madrid supporter, but you can't deny you can't deny the fact that that Valencia team was something special. Okay, so who's next? Who's next? Right, a couple of a couple of weeks ago, I responded to a tweet where people asked to quote the team you hate the most. Of course, every Madrid and Barcelona fan in my timeline was sprouting shit off about one another, but I personally picked into Milan. Obviously, I was tackled on it, and so many couldn't get their heads around why I wasn't putting Madrid down as in order to be a hashtag Kule, you must hate Madrid. Well, nobody's, I don't hate Madrid. I love seeing them suffer. I absolutely lose my shit when we beat them. But there was a time you couldn't help but be in awe of the teams they actually had. And if I'm being honest, when I state that this particular player is a player I wished to play for Barcelona as he's part of the reason why I don't have such repugnant ten- tendencies towards the club that is Real Madrid. Fernando Redondo. He is my all, he's in my all-time 11 players anyway, whether it's La Liga or world football. Think of Busquets today. An absolute genius of the modern day. Busquets wouldn't have been able to play half the games. He plays in if he was thrown back into Redondo's era. And vice versa, injuries and hard tackling when you come to think about it. But Redondo as a box-to-box playmaker, defender, attacker, winger, the man was everywhere, absolutely everywhere. And if he was playing today, he'd make an absolute mockery of some today's player. I adored him as a footballer, loved him for Argentina. And I've always maintained that if he was around today, Leo Messi would never see what it was like to play in his own half for Argentina. 
because Redondo wouldn't allow it. I also sport his famous hairstyle today. He's a cracking player, cracking looking player, just like me. Yeah, I've seen pictures. I wouldn't describe you as cracking looking, Gav. <laughs> uh, the, hair's, the, the hair's grown longer. <laughs> However, the team's looking pretty decent, but I'm going to guess you're going to have some wide players in there somewhere else. You're going to get shagged down the flanks. Well, see, we're talking about a time in the league where wide players went to be on and end off. We're talking about creativity. We, I, do you know what? If I have to go down with wide players, I, Pablo Oymar, he's one of my wide players, or one of the players that would play out wide. So I've got Redondo sitting back deep. I've got this lad coming up, sitting smack bang right in the middle, dictating everything. This lad, my father, being an extraordinary football brain, would always take the time to try and make me understand the ways of setting players. When I was at an age where, as I stated to you earlier on, all I could see was strikers. He'd explain in great detail, you know, players' way of playing the game like Cruyff, Eusebio, Peter Osgood, best, Platini. And I suppose having such a, a forced education at a young age gives you the tools to be able to watch the different style of footballers today, especially while the game is going on, and never have to rely on any stat to back up your own perception of what you're actually watching. This lad played for Barcelona. And he's one of the greatest footballers I'd ever seen play the game. My father would compare him to Michel Platini, who I personally never seen play live, but he's obviously held it as one of the all-time greats. Who am I talking about? Oh, you want me to guess again now? You may as well. When did he start playing? Um, 2004. Iniesta? Not Iniesta. So he, play for, he plays for Barcelona. Played. Played for Barcelona. And started in 2004. I think it was 2004. Could have been 2002, 2003, 2004. But it's, it's not Iniesta. But if you compare them, it's a good giveaway when he's compared to uh, Michel Platini. You're going to have to give it to me. That's Xavi. Yeah, Xavi started in 1998, mate. <laughs> Jesus, was it that long ago? Fucking yeah. hell. Yeah, that's, that's why I didn't... That's extraordinary. Yeah, Jesus, that's that's mental. Sorry, I didn't actually research that. Xavi was... <laughs> no, we... Welcome to Sound of La Liga. <laughs> <laughs> no, Xavi was one of those that's kind of almost still fresh in your mind. Um, but I don't think... I, I don't think there's been a better um, director of football on a pitch than Xavi. His passing is his passing is legendary, absolutely legendary. It's people today, especially young young Barcelona fans or new Barcelona fans, they they come together and try and you know, well, who was better in that prime, that peak, that this, that, you know, Xavi or Iniesta? For me, Xavi Xavi is a step ahead of Iniesta because I don't think Iniesta would have been as good as he is if it wasn't for Xavi. Xavi allowed Iniesta to play. This game, Xavi allowed everybody on the pitch to play that game. If he wanted, if he wanted to make something happen, force part of the call, give the ball to Xavi, and then bang. So Xavi for me is in that midfield. He's controlling that midfield. He's the main man in that midfield. And when you've got Redondo backing him up and Pablo Aymar out on the right, sensational. <laughs> 
Okay, so who's on the left? The left. Ooh, right. This particular footballer is arguably, arguably my all-time favourite footballer. He needs to be watched. He needs to be appreciated. Better all-round player than Iniesta. And I know some people listening to this will be laughing their heads off and he can find out who it is. But this lad is just extraordinary. He was the absolute embodiment of Christ's philosophy on the pitch for Barcelona. And he took that magic to another club. I'm not going to tell you which club it was, because I'm going to allow you to guess this one. Of all the players I mentioned here today, he's the one that people should go and check out online as to just what type of footballer we're talking about. He'd dribble like Iniesta, he'd pass like Xavi, he'd defend like Redondo, he'd score like Ronaldo. And Cruyff said it himself that this particular player had more of a deprived upbringing, there would be no doubt as to who the greatest footballer of all time would be. Now I had to pick between him and another hero of mine and Stoichkov, but this particular player won. And he's my captain. And he, who am I talking about? He's Michael Loudrop. He's by f- there's there is the absolute magician in my team. There is a lad who will play in the middle, on the left, in the right, up, forward, left. You, there is the one of the greatest footballers I've ever seen. Hero of mine, pictures all over the place when I was a kid. The type of legends, the type of all-time great that's forgotten. And that drives me mad because he wasn't as flamboyant as some of the greats of his era. But he was better than most of the greats of his era. And for me, he's my captain. Slap bang, out in the, in the middle to the left. There's my midfield chief. Yeah, and I'd say about Laudrup, if he'd have been Brazilian, Argentinian, English, German, any nation but as minor one like Denmark, people would have raved about him for like the last three decades, but they they don't. He's become like a cult hero now, and you're not overhyping him. He he was better than Iniesta. That's that's just a fact. And anyone who disputes that didn't watch him. Yeah, but it's it, you know as I said, Darrell, we're, we're going to have people on with their own favourites. There's something about Michael Laudrup for me that if there's ever a player that somebody should try and get an understanding of or an appreciation of, just. Just, again, YouTube, the, the world we live in today, there's so many videos. Watch Michael Laudrup. Watch what you're doing with the ball. At a time where tackles flew in, where legs were broken, where punches were thrown, where it was the pitches were in bits. For me, he he's my George Best of my team. That's he's he's probably yeah, he's my favourite player the team I've picked. Okay, so you've got through balls for days coming on here. Not so much defending down the flanks. So who have you got up front to receive those through balls? Oh, right. Okay. So I've got three lads here, um, three controversial lads that may create a bit of controversy here. I'm going for me force forwards. It's slightly left field. My father is a Man United supporter and I remember him scoring this absolute wonder goal. But don't ask me who it was against. I just remember he scored it. But I also remember him being made out to be a flop. He went to Villarreal, then on to Atleti. He won two golden boots, one for each. I absolutely loved watching him play. Loved him. He was another player for me whose main attribute was... It's, a, it's intelligence. 
His exploits in the 2010 World Cup summed him up for those who doubted him as a player and only ever remembered him being a flop at Man United. A player my father also holds in the highest regard and he's also on here because my, my missus fancied this lad rotten. Who am I talking about? Apparently your missus really wants to jump Diego Forlan. So do I, Darren. I <laughs> was look Diego Farland's one of them one of them players that you know they go to the Premier League because of the the propaganda behind it it's so easy to label a footballer that you know he's useless he's a flop and once he leaves England and the majority of English viewers are you know still sucked into the vacuum that is the, the, the Premier League juggernaut they don't realise just how extraordinary a player this lad actually was. It, it just it just didn't work out for Matt Man United. But he was sensational at Philadelphia. Brilliant at Atleti. He was unbelievable for Uruguay. And I love Diego Farland. I, I won't have a bad word said about Diego Farland. I thought for a second there when you went into the he's one of those and then paused for a second, I thought it was going to be he's one of those, it's not gay if it's Diego Forlan. Yeah, it's not gay if it's Diego Farland. The man is uh, he's a hunk. <laughs> <laughs> he's definitely a very good footballer. I'm not sure I'd go quite that far. So who are the other two? Oh, the other... Do you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go for one of the obvious ones. Right? For me, probably the greatest player to ever grace a pitch. You know, Messi will rightly go down as the greatest footballer of all time, but this lad is one season at Barcelona taught me from a fanatic to a faraway addicted, basically a stalker. When he came on the scene, you know, I was smack bang right in the middle of puberty and I suppose became my all-time idol. At the time, your idols weren't anywhere near as successful as they are today. He was a mythical deity the season he played for Barcelona. I've never seen a player do what he did to midfielders, onto defenders and then onto goalkeepers. And he consistently done it. But he was struck down by the footballing gods for the fear that the freak would basically dethrone them eventually. Oh, you know who I'm talking about. People who know me know who I'm talking about. And I make absolutely no apologies for having him in my team. I make no apologies for having him in my team for the time he played at Barcelona. Who am I talking about, Daniel? Yeah, it's Ronaldo. The proper it's... Ronaldo. The real Ronaldo, not the preening Portuguese ladyboy. The genius Ronaldo. The genius Ronaldo, and I, I, I show enough respect to the man to even say his time at Real Madrid was still legendary, because people, a lot, lot of people will not realise just how extraordinary that one season was. I mean, some of the some of the greatest journalists in the world today have written about it, and it's fascinating. There's countless, countless hours on YouTube of what he did for Barcelona that season. Watch some of the goals. I mean, we see Messi do it every now and again when he beats four or five players, scores a wonder goal. We sit back and Twitter and social media blows up that, oh my God, this is the Puskas winner. This should be the greatest goal of all time. Ronaldo was doing that on a, on a weekly basis and he was doing it on a weekly basis against defenders who were out to fucking decapitate you to, you know, crush it break bones and this lad was just punching them off but this that that fucking knee that knee injury deprived us of something that 
something special. I, I, I still think to this day that if he if he hadn't went to Inter Milan, that's why I hate them bastards. They go fuck Inter Milan. Inter Milan can go into liquidation. They they nearly have, and the day they do, fuck you. So that, that's karma for taking Ronaldo away from me. Yeah, it's. I think it's not really questionable that he's the best striker of all time. Um, the completeness of him, his physicality, he didn't even really look like a footballer in a lot of ways. He looked more like a boxer or an MMA fighter. And that's pretty much what he did on the pitch. He just fucking abused people. He just ripped them apart. Um, I personally can't pick him because he was the year before I started following Barcelona, but I... I've thoroughly acquainted myself with everything he did back then. He was amazing. I'll give you another little uh, story on him. In 1998, when he, at the World Cup, he had the famous haircut. Wasn't that 2002 when he had that stupid? Yeah, the stupid, yeah, so did I. Really? Yeah, and I was pale, skinny and freckly. And I had this abomination on my head, but that was the type of impact he had on me. I wanted to be him. I wanted to look like him, but we oh. didn't have we didn't have sprayed hands back then. But. Do you remember? Um, do you remember Father Ted? Of course, I do. It was brought up in that stuff. Do you remember the yokel with the shotgun? Oh, what's his bloody name? I know he has a I shot Jr. on his t-shirt. Yeah, absolutely. That- I'd imagine you were you must have come across like a skinnier version of him when people saw you with that haircut. Yeah, but most of the lads who hung, hung around with me and most of the lads in my school had the exact same haircut. So you can imagine what it was like in <laughs> Ireland at the time. We just was that's all it was. It was just the ogles running around with this mad looking hairstyle on us. And it was all down to Ronaldo. I think I think for me, he was the first superstar I'd ever recognised in football and he was a superstar. You just have to think back to 1998, um, France, Brazil. Very few people in, in the world would have gone against Brazil beating France until Ronaldo was struck down with that illness, whatever happened. And it's one of those that's easy to say, oh, you know, Brazil would have won if Ronaldo was on the pitch. But for me, I honestly believe that it would have been a completely different match if Ronaldo had been on the pitch. But that's just me. Okay. I, yeah, I totally agree with that. Also, controversial thought here. I'm just going to throw this in there. Zidane's performance in that World Cup final is the most overrated in football history. Let's move on to your third forward, Gav. <laughs> right. Argu- this, this lad played in arguably the greatest season in La Liga. This particular team emerged... And this team was just, if you had to sum them up in a phrase, they were just fucking fun to watch. They were just so fun to watch. The players they had, the, I don't, I hate using that word philosophy about a team, but just the way they approached every single game was just attack, 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 attack. This lad cost, at the time, 100,000 euro from Las Palmas and went on to become, for me, one of the most memorable strikers ever in the league. Now, we formed a formidable partnership the season after the arrived with another lad who I kind of really wanted to try and get in here, but, I, you know, I, I can't. Have you any idea who this player is? I'll give you another hint. He 
he's incredibly similar to Suarez in stature and all round skill, and he even looks like Suarez. But this lad would score from anywhere with his first touch. We look at Suarez today, and the ball gets crossed to him. It's 50-50 whether he scores a tap-in or he scores a screamer. But this lad didn't miss tap-ins. And he, if he got the opportunity, it was generally a screamer. God, I'm struggling with this one. I Because uh, the problem he, is, I'm, I'm he, thinking of around the price, but there were a lot that went for that kind of price back then. And you look back and think, Jesus Christ, how did you get him for that? Okay, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll actually give you his partner from the following season that'll probably make it easier on his partner the following season was Diego Tristan. Um, I always think of him as a lone striker. Um, it's Roy Mackay. Ah, Roy Mackay, man. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Fucking deadly. Deadly. That's all I can use that word. That word personifies him. He was deadly. And he's part of that Deportivo side which shook up La Liga. And they deserved that league toil. They were absolutely brilliant to watch. And it wasn't... People try to compare it to, we say, Leicester winning the Premier League. Leicester winning the Premier League. Leicester didn't play good football to win the Premier League. Leicester was just playing bad teams to win the Premier League. And that's not to take away anything from what Leicester did. What Leicester done was extraordinary. But what Deportivo did was equally extraordinary. They went up against better teams, outplayed them week in, week out, at a time when, you know, Real Madrid, Valencia, Real Sociedad, Barcelona, they still had pretty fucking extraordinary teams. But these boys came along, Jaminia, just Valeron, extraordinary, an extraordinary collection of players into a fairly small team. To do what he did, for me, that season is possibly the greatest season in the league's history. Yeah, I can buy into that. Uh, they they were a fantastic side. And I'll also say, in the comparison to Leicester, Leicester had all of the uh, refereeing decisions go in their favour. Deportivo had to fight against the referees to get what they did. And plus Deportivo went to Real Madrid and spanked them before you too. And Jalminia did that rainbow flick. You can't forget um, that. Jalminia's rainbow flick. And people are probably sitting here listening to this going, who's Jamelia? Check him out. And that's DJ. That's his first two words. It's not J. It's DJ. Jamelia. Yeah. Check that out. Check that rainbow flick out. Watch what it was like to watch players like that who were just fun. They played the game of football as though it was fun. If you had a player like that today, he'd be on the Ballon d'Or podium easily. Cool. So that's your squad. I've got it written down here. I'm having a look at it. I still think you're going to get shagged down the flanks, but it's a lot of very good players in there. But see, you're talking about getting shagged down the flanks, so I have to be up, up against a team who play down the flanks. Well, then, welcome to my team. Ooh. <laughs> right, Daryl, you've gone with a 4 2 3 1. I have. Um, I'm going to start with the goalkeeper. I think we said it earlier on. I have a feeling that me and you are on the same page here. Yeah, we've we've got some crossover right at the, in quite a few places, actually. And I have gone for Santiago Cañizares, the man who, can ca- who could catch any ball you like one-handed but couldn't hold on to a fucking aftershave bottle to save his World Cup hopes. He was absolutely fantastic. And doing what he did in that Valencia side and what that Valencia side achieved with him in it 
astonishing. And they absolutely should have beaten Bayern Munich in their Champions League final. I think that they, I think that the three nil against Real Madrid the previous year really flattered Real Madrid, and Valencia mm-hmm. just kind of lost their heads a bit. But Canizares, flawless, fantastic goalkeeper, and completely mental. I mean, what, what's not love about him? He was fantastic. See, me and you have great taste, Alan. We do have great taste. We're also we we're also old bastards, so we're picking a lot of players from the nineties. Oh, that's look. This is what this is all about, Alan. To give people an idea that you know people from a certain age will have an affiliation to a certain period in time. We're going to have others coming on talking about you know players from five years ago, ten years ago. We're hitting on to the fifteen, twenty years ago, and I think I think it's good to kind of give listeners an idea that you know La Liga has always had extraordinary footballers. It's been hyped up now nowadays as being the best league in the world. For me, it's always been the best league in the world. It's always had some of the, the best footballers in the world. And if, if we're fair about it, it's generally had always had the greatest footballers in the world at the time that they've been at the peak. But you have a four-man defence, right? This is coming up against me. I've got Ronaldo, McCoy, and Farlands. Piece of piss, Chief. Who are you stopping? Okay, so I'm going to start out at left back. I'm going to go with a man, very famous name. Shall we go with the guessing game between us as well? Go ahead. Okay, so he played for Real Madrid. Yeah, exactly. He was famous for scoring a free kick once in a blue moon, but they were always really, really fucking good. And in the particular season in which I first started watching, he scored an incredible goal, which everyone needs to look up right now, in which he basically scored from the corner flag in free play. Gav, over to you. Uh, That's that's Roberto Carlos, if... Absolutely. If I was going for a pure straight-up defender, he probably wouldn't be in the team, but he was fantastic fun to watch. Great character, great player. One of those players who I'm similar to you in that I love seeing Real Madrid lose, but I don't necessarily hate the club full stop. There were a lot of players who I really appreciate, and he's one of them. For me, he was the standout left-back of the time I've been watching La Liga. Yeah, he scored that uh, infamous goal, I think it was against Osasuna. Could be wrong. I think you're right, actually. I think you're right. And he hits it, and it comes out about six, seven yards from the corner flag, and then all of a sudden, just does this whip. And the, the screwed up thing is, the keeper's actually coming out in line with the ball, but the speed of the ball, the keeper's just standing there flapping that, and it goes into the, the far top corner. It's just... Extraordinary goal. Roberto Carlos was an extraordinary footballer. I mean, you, you talk about his, you know, his defensive frailties, but he actually was a good defender as well. Like it, it's not that he was a poor defender; he was just better going forward than he was a defender. A bit like Danny Alves to a point. Yeah, I was about to make exactly that comparison. It's not so much that he was a straight up shit defender; it's just that he never actually had to defend. So. Every once in a while, people would play a ball behind him and like, oh, where's Roberto Carlos? Well, actually, he was up the front leading the attack, so someone else should have been filling in that space for him. Yeah, Roberto Carlos. Real Madrid, obviously. Yeah. And the next man, we both went for him. 
he is the modern equivalent of a true hard-nosed 90s defender, as we discussed earlier. I'm not going to let you guess it because you already know it is Diego Godin from Atletico Madrid. He's the best defender in the world for me right now. And he's just fantastic in a classic, hard, proper centre-half kind of way. You know, like imagine if John Terry wasn't a racist cunt and was a much better footballer. That would be what Diego Godin is. And I'll drop the C-bomb. There you go. <laughs> no, generally, when you look at Goldin is that Goldin is that player for me, and I think he's. I don't think he's anywhere near as appreciated from today's generation. I don't think they see exactly what he is or what he does because his passing statistics or his passing accuracy isn't up to scratch with the rest of the defenders. Bollocks to that. That ball. Is eight feet in the air, and he and he's in that box nine times out of ten. It's his head in that box. He isn't. He is for me. He he's the Spanish Palmograph. Sorry, he's the Uruguayan Palmograph. But you know what I mean. He's Palmograph was a was a player I always looked up to. I thought Palmograph was a sensational defender. And no bullshit. There we go. Then you want you want somebody in that back line. And for me. I'd have Diego Godin in Barcelona any day of the week. Any day of the week as an out-and-out defender. And I would agree. And his partner is someone very similar. You also picked him as well. They also, in a way, they kind of um, followed similar career trajectories because I feel that before Godin came to um, Atletico Madrid... He'd kind of underachieved abroad and then came to Atletico Madrid and found his niche and became the player he was due to be. The same is also true of this other shared pick of ours, Roberto Ayala of Valencia. Yeah, Ayala's just fucking... Ayala... Ayala seems... Who else was in that squad? Zanetti is more synonymous with Argentinian's defenders than Ayala is but Ayala is probably a better defender than Zanetti ever was even though Zanetti was more of a a, a madman running up the wing he's he is more revered than Ayala in Argentina and I'd say, say the thing with Ayala and Godin is that you could take them as a centre-back pairing and you could put them into any era of football and they would dominate shit you would yeah. not be getting past them. That, again, Ayala, teammate of Canizares, pulled off the same kind of miracles at Valencia. It, it was an astonishing achievement. And both of those, La Liga winners in teams that you would not have chosen to be La Liga winners, but somehow they did it off the back of fantastic defending, and that's why they're in there. Which leaves me with one more man left. Right back. Yep. And... He's not a name that immediately springs to mind for people, but he was part of a truly fantastic La Liga winning team. Um, I always enjoyed watching him play, even though I didn't think of him first of all, and I had to do a bit of rejigging before deciding I was going to put him into the team. The more I thought about it, the more I thought, how have I not had him in as a guaranteed choice straight away? He played for Super Depor. Gavin, who is he? Oof, right back. Jesus, you had me there, Chief. 
Manuel Pablo. Pablo. And I didn't realize until I started doing a bit of research earlier on today, he only retired a couple of years ago, which I did not know. He was a fantastic, solid, all-round right-back. Not flashy, he's not a Danny Alves type, but he did a fantastic job as a part of a great team unit. And for me, he's a great adjunct and provides balance right across my back four. Roberto Carlos can go and do all that he likes in the other half of the pitch because with those three back there backing it up, he's got no problems. He can take vacation. Now, there's a player that you've thrown out me. I I can see him. I don't know who you... Do you know, I actually I cannot picture him, but I know who you're talking about. And yeah. if it is oh, the right lad, he's literally, he literally only retired last season, I think. Yeah, I think it was. I think he retired in 2016. I read after he only made like five appearances. It's like and he's actually. I think he's about a year and a half older than me, or something like that. Jeez, that's um, that's that's what the pod has to be about. That's that's what I'm interested in. There's a lad there that people should check out. Manuel Pablo um, Deportivo La Coruña. If I'm not mistaken, he has also played for Las Palmas. That's where he came from because yeah. he would. Las Palmas was a, was like a feeder club to Deportivo at the time. That's where Roy McCoy came from. Yeah, and he was a, just a great all-round player. Class. So we've got Pablo uh, Manuel Pablo. Daryl, you've got see, with me these fucking formations still in my head, and I went for three four three. It's simple. It's basic. It's to the point. You're coming up with four two three one. These two, are, are we talking deep-lying defensive midfielders here? I mean, are you that negative? Uh, no, I am not. I'm a Barcelona fan, you Cantaloupe. <laughs> oh, so here we go. So, so we've got we've got four defenders. We've got two centre-backs, uh, a left-back, a right-back, and we've got... What are these two lads doing here? Are we... Okay. So, remember I said about how we have some um, duplicates across our teams? Right. Both of these are duplicates. Really? They both are. The first one is a certain Argentinian from Real Madrid who was just phenomenal. And as you say, God, I wish he was still around playing for Argentina today. To be honest, ahead of most of their midfielders, he probably still could fucking play ahead of that useless sack of shit. Fernando Redondo, just yeah. an amazing all-round midfielder best known for his holding and his defensive work but when that guy broke forward he was absolutely fantastic just ask the ghost of Henningberg after he murdered him at Old Trafford what Fernando Redondo was like going forward just a phenomenal player yeah Redondo 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 has oh, he's one of those players that um, non-Real Madrid supporters would appreciate but of a certain age where if you try to explain it to somebody today, going, oh, you want to check out Fernando Redondo, uh, who do you play for? Real Madrid, but you're Barcelona's part. No, Chief, check this lad out. This is a footballer. Absolutely. And that brings me on to the second duplicate. And I have, a, I have kind of an emotional attachment to this player because he came through as a Barcelona player very soon after I started watching 
Um, and I'd always heard from starting following Barcelona in that March, I'd heard so much about Guardiola, who'd been injured at that time, and how when he came back, it was going to make so much difference because he held possession because he was such a great creative passer, blah, blah, etc., etc. And then I saw this lad coming through, and I was like, why are we even worrying? That man is Xavi Hernandez. He is, without question, in my opinion, the greatest midfielder to ever play the game, easily the best passer to ever play the game, and he was the linchpin that made not only Barcelona successful, but also Spain successful. Messi, for all of his greatness, would not have become the player that he became without um, Xavi there. Iniesta certainly wouldn't have, and neither would Busquets. Xavi is how that great Barcelona team and also the great Spain team of 2008, 2010 and 2012. He is what started it. He is the cornerstone, the thing that held it all together. The best midfielder of all time. He had to be in my team. Jesus Christ, we've gone one, two, three, four, five, five crossovers already, Chief. Five. That's the last one. Oof. But look, Xavi, Xavi is God. Xavi's exceptional. He is. He's 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 a player that should go down in the annals of history as being one of the greatest footballers of all time, along the lights of I don't know, Platini, Campes, players like that, that in twenty years' time you look back and you talk about Xavi. I still think Xavi is a class above Iniesta. I love Iniesta. Iniesta is the dawn, Iniesta is the man today, but nah. Comparison, Xavi yeah. And Xavi should have won the Ballon d'Or in 2010 after the World Cup win. He should have had that ahead of Messi. Yeah, but God forbid Messi and the boys and Ronaldo. What are you talking about? Don't be silly. Don't be silly. I, I know it's, it's heresy, it's madness, but that is my personal opinion. And you know what? I'm making Xavi captain. I've decided, I've made a quick tactical switch there. I'm making Xavi captain because to me, he exemplifies what football should be about. He is my, he, up until he left to go to Qatar, he had been a linchpin at Barcelona, or at the very least a serious squad member at Barcelona for almost as long as I'd been following the club. It's like, there's like a six month period when I first started following and then he broke through. I have a huge emotional attachment to him. I'm very biased. He's the captain. He is the greatest midfielder of all time. So, that's my defence. Tata Martino's legacy will always be defined by me as being the gobshoy that decided to drop him. Tata Martino, yeah, it's, I've, I've already dropped the C-bomb twice. I don't want to like go for a hat-trick off them because your lad's got to edit this at some point. Uh, but yeah, anyone who drops Xavi, I would still have him at the bloody club, to be honest with you. Uh, I he's, don't off, he's, he's, he's off learning he's off learning his little tricks and tricks he's, he's, he's off earning a lot of money is what he's doing but now we get to the attacking midfield right who's so, your first okay so the first one is a Barcelona player and I've already told you why I became a Barcelona player so you know who it is straight away it's Luis Enrique I've put him on the right Luis Enrique, as a player, you couldn't ask for much more. He would play anywhere on the pitch. I, the only positions I didn't see him play at Barcelona were goalkeeper and left-back. 
I saw him play centre-half. I saw him play right-back, defensive mid, right-wing, attacking midfield, striker, left-wing. He played anywhere, and he was never less than 7 out of 10. But if you put him into the right mid or the attacking mid, you would get solid 8s, 9s, 10s out of him. And probably the best header of a football I've ever seen in my life, with also an ultimate badass attitude. What else could you want? Hard as fuck and a brilliant footballer. Became a brilliant manager too. He did, yeah. Don't mention it on Barca Twitter though, because oh, no, I'll have you up. No, no. Yeah. Oh no, not Cruyffister enough. Inconsiderate arseholes. Sorry. <laughs> I went for the hat trick. They had to. I mentioned Barca Twitter. I had to drop the hat trick of C-bombs. Oh, that's my last one. <laughs> Roy Chief, what's your next attack in midfielder? Okay, so my next attacking midfielder is playing on the left, and he was a C-bomb himself, and by that I mean his name. Played for Valencia, extraordinarily fast, incredibly skillful, and you could not sleep on his first-time shots because he would smash them straight past your goalkeeper. Gav, who is he? Has to be Mendieta. At left mid. And with a name beginning with C. Oof, who have you got? C. Oh, you had me there, Chief. Oh, Gavin, I'm so disappointed in you. I am very, very disappointed in you. It's Claudio Lopez. Ah, jeez, you know what? For the part of me, I thought you might have had him up front. No, Claudio Lopez. I absolutely love this guy. For me, when he was at Valencia, he, he summed up what I most loved about La Liga, which was in every team, every team seemed to have a player who just terrified the shit out of me. Like Even teams like Oviedo had guys like Deli Valdez who I'd sit there and oh, Christ, he's going to give us trouble. Claudio Lopez always gave us trouble. He was like a rocket and so were his shots. He was just a fantastic player to watch. And I remember showing uh, some friends of mine some of his goals and they didn't get the brilliance behind them of just the way he would shape his body and just put in a simple shot into the bottom corner that the goalkeeper just could not read. He was a phenomenon. I loved him. He also went on to Lazio. He did, yeah. But that now leaves me with one last guy. And this was a tough call because I have one last El Clasico slot available, one last Barcelona slot available. You're going to go with an attacking midfielder from Barcelona. Let's face it, there's a bloody lot of great ones that we've had through there. But I'm going to go for the one who had me on my knees in front of my television screaming with joy in 2001. Gav, who is it? Rivaldo. It is Rivaldo. Um, it was a tough call between him and Ronaldinho. Ronaldinho, obviously the guy who revitalized Barcelona after that horrible slump period under Juan Gaspar as chairman. But Rivaldo was, he was just pure magic. And there was a time in which he absolutely just carried the team by himself as an attacking force, especially in that 2001 season, uh, 2000 to 2001 season in which he was in dispute with the board. They didn't want to pay him the money he wanted. They were on the brink of going out of the Champions League. They were facing the finalists from that year who had lost the final. They needed to win Camp Nou in order to go back into the Champions League, but Barcelona needed it. 
in order to secure fourth place and get into the Champions League themselves. And Rivaldo scored, for me, the greatest goal of all time. The moment of pure joy when he chested a long ball from Frank de Boer back up into the air and bicycle kicked it from outside the penalty area straight into the bottom corner against the best goalkeeper in Europe at that time, Santi Canizares. He scored a fantastic hat-trick against the best defence in the world at that time, and that just summed him up. He'd always been like that at Barcelona. He was a phenomenon, a magician. People need to go back. If they don't understand what Rivaldo was, if they only remember him diving in the 2002 World Cup, because people always mention him diving against Turkey, fuck off. That man was God. He can dive, <laughs> he, he can dive as many times as he fucking likes against your shit brick team. He's a phenomenon. You have to give him a pass. End of story. Right. Do you know what? I'm actually going to pull you up on this because it wasn't to qualify for the Champions League, Chief. It was actually to qualify for the Europa League. No, it was for fourth place, Gav. In 2003? 2001. 2001. See, didn't you learn from last time when you tried to pull me up on something? Yeah. It's like the third time I've got you now, Gav. No, it was the Champions League, 2001. See, this is the difference between somebody who drinks tea and somebody who drinks beer. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's the difference between someone who doesn't drink at all and someone who, does, who drinks too much. Yeah, Rivaldo, the, the infamous hat-trick. Yeah. Against Canazares. And that just summed him up. The guy was a legend. He's, I, I love him, even though he basically looked like Black Skeletor. So <laughs> I'm actually intrigued. Who's your lone striker? My lone striker, I had to think long and hard about this because there are a couple of different options. Um, and I went for someone who probably will surprise you. Um, didn't spend that long in La Liga, but when he was there... I feel he helped revitalize a club and turn them in, helped to start them on the road to becoming what they are today. He played for Atletico Madrid, and I'm going to let you guess who he is. Oof. Um, Jesus. Wasn't that for a huge amount of time? I'm going to say Falcao. You've got it right. Yeah, it has to be Falcao, man. El Tigre. Yeah, Falcao for me, while Atletico Madrid have been in a, they've been improving and they've had a bit of a resurgence with Forlan up front and they've done well there. With Falcao, they had an X Factor player, a player who you looked at and were constantly afraid of. Someone who was genuinely so world class that you envied him. You would happily say, I'll take him at Barcelona. I'll take him at Real Madrid, I'll take him at Juventus, United, etc., whoever. That period in which he was with Atletico Madrid, he scored every type of goal and he was just phenomenal. And for me, that period was what set Atletico Madrid on the road to becoming what they were, what they've become after he's left. He he was the catalyst and he is my number nine. Yeah, Radamel Falcao was one of the best um, strikers I've ever seen. His, um, what would you call it, his journey from River Plate. I know he played for River Plate. It was extraordinary at them. 
went to Porto, is let to go. He then got sold to Monaco. He had a couple of loan spells with um, senior teams, Chelsea and United, which didn't work out well. But if you actually compare his overall goals to appearances without taking into consideration his time at Chelsea or Man United, because he did suffer that rotten knee injury. The man has been arguably the best striker the last decade. I think there's a case for it. I think as a straight-up goal scorer, he has everything. And he makes it, he's not even that tall, but he's so good in the fucking air. The guy is... I love him. He's, he's one of those... And again, I look at him as a player who I could throw into any era of football and he would fly. And that's why I had to have him up there. Right, Daryl, we've had, we've had each other's 11. I'm actually going to hit you with your five subs. Last him Okay, so I'm going to lash these out pretty quickly. Um, I went for a maximum of one player per team here. First one, I'm going to go with Carlos Puyol. Okay. Could have easily put him into the first team, but I had to get my other guys in there. You can't leave out Xavi, Lewis, Enrique, or Rivaldo for me. Um, Puyol, fantastic captain. Great influence on the squad, a huge part of what made Barcelona great. He also came through not long after I started following Barcelona, so I've always had a fondness for him and his ridiculous hair. (laughs) Not quite as ridiculous as yours when you were a kid after you saw the 2002 World Cup. But yeah, on the the next one is his kind of his counterpart at Real Madrid. Another great captain, another man who conducted himself brilliantly and was treated absolutely disgustingly by Real Madrid on his departure. They should be ashamed of themselves forever the way they treated him. Iker Casillas. I think he he was a model captain. His maturity and professionalism and his refusal to go along with the bullshit of the likes of Jose Mourinho... And then he gets sold out by the club of his dreams, his boyhood club, for a Portuguese mercenary prick. He's one of the greatest captains in the history of La Liga. He is my substitute goalkeeper. And let's be fair about it, he's one of the greatest goalkeepers that you've you've probably seen in the modern day. He, He was an exceptional goalkeeper. He was absolutely fantastic. And Joseph... The idea of anyone drumming out a club legend to support Jose fucking Mourinho just disgusts me because the man's... I'm not going to drop that word again. I, I will not forepeat the word, but he is one of those. He's a sadist! Yeah. <laughs> He's an absentee landlord! <laughs> so, I'm going to move on to someone who is demonstrably not a C-bomb. He was a great player for Valencia... Not so great for Barcelona, but he did play for them as well. He's most famous for scoring an absolutely belting goal from a corner against uh, Barcelona. You know it. Yeah, it's, that's Mendieta. That is Mendieta. Fantastic player. Just a great all-rounder. I love him, and now he's a good pundit as well. I just I think he's brilliant. A model pro, good leader, huge technical talent. How could anybody not love the guy? Who else you got? Well, now I need a more attacking substitute, so I'm going to go for someone else from Super Depot, the king of the rainbow flicks. Jamina. 
Delminia. As as Gav said earlier, if you have not seen Delminia play, you have failed in life. So you need to go onto YouTube and Google his name. D-J-A-L-M-I-N-H-A. Get it right. Google him. Get him on YouTube and treat yourself tonight because that man is footballing eye candy. Just fantastic player. And he's just fun. I mean, if you had to sum him up more words, he's he's just a fun footballer to watch. He's a real, genuine street footballer. Take the piss. You look at... Jeez, who would you compare him with today? Do you know who no. you'd compare? Do you, know, do you know? I'd be honest. I'd compare him to Neymar today. I think that Neymar wishes he had the technical skill of Jelmina. But you know, you see where I'm coming from. Neymar yeah, does. I see where Neymar from does that. today. Troy, he does try to be exuberant in what he does, but Jelmina <laughs> just don't see him looking like, oh, what the fuck? It was the type of shit you'd see him do, and you'd be going out the backyard with your football going. Yeah, I can do that. And you're like, nah, I can't do that. Yeah, you'd be saying, nah, I can't do that in the ambulance on the way to the hospital, having just broken both your ankles. The guy was phenomenal. And it was like watching a futsal player playing live yes. football. In the biggest game in the world, he would just do something absolutely absurd, and it would work. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. A futsal, a futsal player on grass. Yeah. And last up, it's the guy who almost denied Falcao his slot. It's another Atletico Madrid striker. You've already covered him. I don't give a shit what Premier League fans say. Diego Forlan is one of the greatest nines of this era. He was an amazing player. Just sensational. You could say Villarreal or Atletico Madrid. Stick him in from either one of them. He was amazing. Okay, well, I'm, I'm going to try out my subs because I never... I never did. I'm going to Bring start with Juan Roman Riquelme for Villarreal. His legacy as a footballer is today defined by hipsters pulling up all footage of his time at Boca Juniors. Well, i seen him play for Barcelona and I can tell you now he was muck for Barcelona. He was, he shouldn't have been there. He was like a square peg in a round hole. He should never have been there. He then takes the trip down south to Villarreal and he becomes joyous. You just watch what the man could do. He took the absolute piss out of players. Maradona labelled him as one of the greatest footballers you've ever seen and he didn't make it into my La Liga at 11, but as a substitute, he's not a bad player to have on the have on the bench. Yeah, he was very close to my first team of my bench as well. He was phenomenal. And I don't think he was helped at Barcelona by having an absolute prick of a manager insisted on playing him on the right wing for no. some fucking reason. No, that was Louis van Gaal. Louis van Gaal's army. Anyway. Now, we have a player in here that I was surprised you didn't pick. Um... I've Michel Salgado for Real Madrid. I thought Salgado was exceptional. He was, what do you mean I thought? He was exceptional. Um, he played for Real Madrid. He also had an incredible stint with um, Celta Vigo. The man was just the perfect embodiment of what an attacking defender is all about. 
Yeah, Salgado very nearly did make it into my team off the back of his period with Celta Vigo in which he was fantastic and he scored a very famous goal with the outside of his right boot against Barcelona, just cutting it across the goal. Made a complete mockery of Rude Hesp with that shot. But in the end, I decided I couldn't be bothered to explain why I was sneaking in a guy who was more famous for playing for Real Madrid. So I went for Manuel Pablo and I stand by that because Manuel Pablo was also great. My next player is a player who is universally loved. If you don't like this footballer, you don't like football. It's Juan Carlos Valeron and his time with Deportivo La Coruña. He was brilliant. There's no other word for it. Another player, we talked about Jamania for Deportivo. We've talked about Roy McCoy for Deportivo. This lad, he, he's literally only a third season or two ago. He is universally loved. He's just a beautiful, beautiful footballer. He's like, he's like the Spanish Raquel May in a sense. He's not as forward thinking as Raquel May, but he, Valeron for me was just class and he ended his career back at Las Palmas, which is mad because every, every player from Las Palmas seemed to have gone to Deportivo, won the league and ended up back at Las Palmas. But Valeron for me is just, he's a lovely footballer, he's a player I highly respect and he's a player that I think everybody respects. And a player who, just like Ronaldo, was destroyed by the hateful Neem demons. My next one is, my next two are, well, my next one is a bit unusual. Silvino for Barcelona. I think Silvino was not too far, not too far off what Dani Alves was like, but he didn't have the same success as Dani Alves. But as a footballer, he wasn't that far off. Daniel Alves was like and I'm having Silvino on my bench Silvino fantastic player did very well at Celta as well um, but one thing that really stands out for me remembering Silvino is him coming out of nowhere to be in the starting lineup Champions League final 2009 and absolutely fucking owning Cristiano Ronaldo so badly that he had to switch wings <laughs> and then he got and then he got owned by Carlos Puyol and it was just a wonderful, glorious evening. And yeah, Silvino, fantastic player. Yeah, my next lad and my last lad is probably one of the hipsters' choices where they be all sit back on. Oh yeah, I remember him, even though they're only twelve, thirteen years old. But it's Alexander Montesavoy. Played for Celta Vigo. Classic, classic footballer of his time. Mad, mad bastard. I was going to drop the C-bomb like thing, but this fella was a fucking lunatic. But he was heralded as a uh, midfield genius. Played in the Celta Vigo side at the early um, 2000s. Brilliant footballer. Technically gifted. One of the Javi-esque, if you want, if you want to label him. I thought he was very Javi-esque. Like, not as good as Javi, but... Playing for a team like Celta Vigo, Russian. It's just one of those players that stuck with me from my time watching the league over the years. That yeah, he's he's on my subs bench. I don't have actually any strikers on my subs bench because let's be honest about it, the team I've picked, I don't need to be subbing any of them lads. Well, unless unless Ronaldo's knee gives out again. Uh, but yeah, Mostovoy, fantastic player. He was one of those ones who was around 
when I first started watching La Liga and he was another of those ones who made you worry about the smaller clubs like most of, was it Moldovan he was paired up with a lot? Oh, he was with a lad called uh, Cap- Carpin. Carpin, yeah. Carpin. Valerie yeah. Carpin, that's it. Yeah, yeah Valerie Carpin. Two, two Russian lads, two. And Carpin wasn't a bad player either. No, Carpin was a quality player. But, was but that... yeah, Mostovoy was fantastic. Well, look, Daryl, that's that's class. We've we've put together an 11. I'm actually going to call out my own 11 so people get no idea as to what we're on about. In goal, I had Canizares for Valencia. My defenders were Roberto Ayala, also of Valencia. Diego Godin. I had Fernando Hierro as my tour defender. My midfield was Pablo Aymar, Fernando Redondo, Michel Laudrup, greatest player of all time. Xavi, we had up front Diego Forlan, Ronaldo and Roy McCoy. And your 11 was? My 11 was playing a 4-2-3-1, Santi Canizares in goal of Valencia. Roberto Carlos of Real Madrid at left back, Diego Godin of Atletico Madrid at centre half alongside Roberto Ayala of Valencia, Manuel Pablo of Deportivo La Coruña at right back, the midfield was Xavi Hernandez of Barcelona and Fernando Redondo of Real Madrid, three attacking midfielders of Claudio Lopez of Valencia, Rivaldo of Barcelona and Luis Enrique of Barcelona, and finally Falcao as the lone striker. And between the two teams, they are two fairly exceptional teams. And what we're going to do in the next couple of days as this goes out, we're going to put together both teams to be compared against each other where you can vote and retweet and see, in your opinion, which is the better team, which team you'd prefer to be, I suppose, managing. Give us some feedback on this pod because it's a new it's a new concept we're going to see how it works so if you're interested in coming on the pod send myself at the league gav or send daryl at lord moloch whatever the way he spells it uh, uh dm to ask come on and we'll see about getting you on and we'll hear what your all-time favorite the league 11 is daryl cheers for tonight thanks for dropping the c-bomb three times Thanks for giving my little lad some work to do because I'm going to have to sit up with him in the next couple of hours and decide whether we're going for a ping, a pong, or a push, or a beep. Well, you've said three times, so it's, I'm going to leave it to you as a little surprise. There's a fourth one there for you to go hunting for. <laughs> Rem- remember, we mentioned Jose Mourinho. There was always going to be a fourth. But now I get away, Richie. But thanks for having me on, Gav. No, cheers, man. Thanks for coming on. And between the two, My we're going to absolutely rip whoever comes on next apart. And you better be educated. You better be up to speed. You better not be bullshitting us when you come on because I don't have any 18, 20-year-old come on talking about Luis Suarez as being the best striker of all time playing in that 1959 Barcelona team because it doesn't work like that, Chief. Anyone who says Kubala is getting uh, kicked off of the chat and we're getting someone else in. Kubala, um, Christ, why am I forgetting his name from fucking Real Madrid? Pushkas. Stefano, Stefano, Pushkas, any of them, no, you're not allowed, unless you actually are about 80 years old, then you can get away with it. Otherwise, 
And if you are an eighty-year-old oh man, geez, please come on, because I tell you, myself and Daryl would love to listen to that. Absolutely. Until then, listen, talk to you then, Daryl. Cheers, buddy. Cheers, Gav.